his karate lessons might not turn him into a black belt. Hi-ya! And even after band camp, he might not be the greatest musician. But with the 3% annual percentage yield you can earn on a PenFed premium online savings account, your goal of supporting his dreams... Thanks for everything, Mom and Dad. ...will always be worth it. Apply today at PenFed.org slash savings. Federally insured by NCUA. $5 minimum to open account. To receive any advertised product, you must become a member of PenFed. PenFed's got great rates for everyone. Hi there, I'm Chris Stashew. I'm Mike White. And this is Father Malone. <laughs> oh, and we're the hosts of Dreams for Sale, a once-a-month look at the Twilight Zone 1985. The reboot of the show, that wasn't canceled. Well, it was, I guess it was canceled. I was going to say it wasn't canceled, so that's not fair. It was canceled, but it lasted more than two seasons. So, hot there. Twilight Zone 2018 reboot. On yeah. this episode, we're going to be talking about 12 and 13 of season two, Time and Teresa Golowitz and Voices in the Earth. Oh, boy. So Time and Teresa Golowitz is directed by Shelley Levinson. It's written by Alan Brennert and Park Godwin. It is based off of Influencing the Hell Out of Time and Teresa Golowitz, which was published in a Twilight Zone magazine, and it stars Paul Sand, Gene Barry, Grant Heslov, very young Grant Heslov, and a very young Gina Gershon as well. And uh, it's about a Broadway composer who dies, meets the devil, goes back in time, and fucks with the timeline. I think he meant this was directed by Shelley the Machine Levinson. Oh, sorry. Sorry, <laughs> sorry. That's right. That's that's my bad. You're right. Oh, What a big daughter, man you are. She's... Let me give you a stick of gum and let me show you how to chew it. <laughs> <laughs> so, Paul Sand. That guy. Yeah. Shows up was in that the weirdest guy. places. Yeah. He- He's I like didn't Dick realize Moore. that he went all the way back to uh, Second City with like Ellen Arkin, and uh, yeah, okay, yeah. If you yeah. had a screwball comedy in the seventies, at some point he was going to come in and say a few lines. Oh yeah, yeah, or play a major role. Like uh, I remember him being in Holy Moses, and of course, oh, yes. um, have quite a big player and can't stop the music. But yeah, he was, was he Condor Man as well? Am I remembering that correct? Oh, I want to say yes. No, he was not Condor Man. That was um, the Michael Crawford, the eventual Phantom of the Paradise. He may have been in it. Oh, okay. All right, all right. But uh, good you to see him here. Segment? Good. Uh, yeah, I, I, very good to see him. Yeah, all the, uh, all the actors, it was good to see. Uh, Wallace Langham there, Wally Langham, uh, was also one of the, uh, the, the, the teenage kids. Um, liked all of them. I liked the sentiment of the episode, I think, overall. But uh, I just thought it was maudlin, man. <laughs> I mean, it's Maybe. okay. It wasn't sort of like uh, actively offensive, but it also just kind of felt like, meh, particularly after the, uh, the, the previous two episodes. And I know they liked uh, in some way to sort of pad out in between uh, like gut punch episodes, more sentimental episodes. But you know, this season also gave us a saucer of loneliness, which 
uh, avoided every maudlin pitfall that this one sort of jumps both feet into. Can somebody explain what the Prince of Darkness, what his endgame is here? Because I didn't get what Gene Barry was after. He wants Paul Sand in hell playing music for them. Yeah. That was like it. once because a year. he knows he's go- because he knows he's going to heaven mm-hmm. because he's a he's, because for once this is a good person who dies in Twilight Zone an abjectly good person he dies and the devil says look you're going to heaven but we love your music so he offers him the deal because he knows how he makes the bet that he knows Bluestone is going to change the past so. He knows that the the good people don't, you know, the whatever heaven, angels, God doesn't like that. So he knows if he changes something, which he will, he's going to have to be in hell for a while. And they want him in hell to play music for him. It's I think it's actually pretty clever. Um, I mean, I understand Father Malone's problems with it being a little saccharine and a little kind of Precious. emotionally manipulative. It's emotionally manipulative in a way, too. But I, I kind of liked it. I liked it a lot. I actually really liked it a lot. Um, I'll defer to Richard Haddam, uh, who we host Rankin on Bass with. He was talking about uh, watching something at three in the morning. I, too, watch this at three in the morning. Uh, And um, maybe watching it late at night under the influence wasn't the best, but I did watch it again today. And I liked it both times. I think it's fun. I think it's a fun segment. And it works as a whole story being told in 24 minutes. Though it wasn't originally supposed to be 24 minutes, it sounds like there's a longer version of it. Yeah, it was. it's like that other segment that we talked about, um, Road Less Traveled, that was like cut down, scenes were cut down, and then they were included on the DVD release of the show. No, I was just saying, so initially they were going to use the full hour for it before they got canceled and everything got split into half-hour episodes, basically. Uh-huh. Pretty much. Yeah, really kind of messed with the timeline. I don't think that the topsiders are too happy about that. No, but that's what the devil expected, I guess. <laughs> I mean, what's what's funny about this episode segment is it while it is kind of emotionally manipulative and maudlin and, and whatever you want to level against it, it still tells an interesting story. Even if the story is a little, you know, you stop one person from committing suicide, look how much of a change they make in the world. Like, that's a little, that in and of itself is a tad played out. Even in 87, it's played out. Chris, I agree with you about the sort of, uh, the unusual take on the devil that they came up with. Because we've had the devil appear a lot of times uh, on this yeah. series. And in popular entertainment, and he's always got the same motive. And here... The devil seems to have nothing but good motives. Uh, he wants this girl mm-hmm. to be saved, and he wants better music in hell. So on that level, yeah, I do appreciate uh, what the episode was striving for. It's just that those two segments are sort of beginning and ending the episode are wrapped around a NBC or ABC after school special. Yeah, I mean, again, I can, I can see that 100%. I, I, I'm not even, actually, I'm not even going to go as far as to disagree with you uh, because it's 100% on nail on the head. But I like Gina Gershon's performance, which is strange because Gina Gershon is not good in most things. Yeah, it depends on what you watch her in. Yeah, I, I, mean, I actually stuff think I've she's seen a... her in is Sch- Schwarzenegger, what, Raw? Not Raw Deal. She was in Red Heat. Red Heat. Cocktail. Stupid. Face Off. <laughs> yeah. Oh, oh, I mean, right. I really off. liked her in Bound. And of course, she sells eating puppy chow like nobody's business in Showgirls. Truly. 
I think she's a good actress, but uh, I, I, she's one of these people, and it's just an idiosyncrasy of mine, that I just don't like them. Like, there's something about them I just do not I like. I think you said the same thing about her when she was on Tales from the Crypt, right? Probably. <laughs> well, I, I definitely said it about the, the, uh, her counterpart in my mind, which is Billy Zane. Billy Zane and Gina Gershon, something about the, the pair of them, like, makes me not like them. And uh, I believe they were actually in a movie together. They were, they were in a... Yeah, so there you go. <laughs> By the way, the Billy Zane thing. You mentioned it, and we both know where you mentioned it, on the Demon Night episode. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, just these two. I can't, I don't know, I can't do anything with them. Uh, but having said that, I did like her performance here. I like, like I said, I don't think she's an unskilled actress. I just, the things I've seen her in, I haven't liked her a whole lot. So seeing her in this, I mean, again, she's like probably in her late teens in this. Like 20. What she would have been? Uh, she's I probably guess she's in, her, in her early twenties. Yeah, she got to be in her twenties. She had already been. But in, she's uh, good. She's really good. So is Grant Heslov. I mean, Grant Heslov is now more behind the camera as opposed to in front of the camera anymore. Uh, but he's he's also really good in this. So he, yeah. he plays he plays a good version of that Paul Sand character. It took me a while to realize that he was playing the Paul Sand character because mm. he just. He didn't look enough like Paul Sand. He looked like or, two or anything shades at darker all. than Paul Sand. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, but, good on them yeah, for just I, picking a, a good actor and not somebody who just resembles right. the lead. But, uh, yeah, I agree with you. They, they couldn't be more dissimilar looking. But it was nice seeing him in, as such a young man because, yeah, um, I mostly know him for stuff like, I don't know, Enemy of the State and the Scorpion King. True Lies. Yeah, trying not to remember True Lies. <laughs> oh, man. I really dislike that movie. I know. I don't get it. I mean, I get well, it, but I don't. I like it. He but played I get it. a character called Faisal in that movie, which, yeah, True Lies is just very, very anti Arab to me. And, like, oh, watching well, it was yes. just very painful, just how anti Arab it was. And and maybe I'm I haven't seen even Arabic. I haven't, I haven't even seen it in a while. Well, not you know of. You told Richard you're not Arabic. But. Right, right. But he says I could pass. Yeah, <laughs> he did. He was like, you could be part of the tribe, my friend. <laughs> it's. Yeah. I saw that movie in the theater. That was enough. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, Tia Carrera. Oh, foo-fa. Yeah. Yeah. And then Let's that part where they. Bad actresses. <laughs> and then that part where they drop the Uzi and it like fires as it goes down the stairs. Classic James Cameron. <laughs> 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 Overly indulgent makes no sense, and you forget about it once the movie's over. <laughs> so, James Cameron. Uh, I, you know, outside of the maudlin tone of this segment, it's not bad, right? I think we're just, you, you guys are a little less on it than I am. I think I enjoyed it more than y'all, right? Yeah, yeah. you don't have to apologize for Well, that I. No, I'm not going to. Yeah. <laughs> that I had to ask you what the segment is actually about because i was just like what is this end game what what's going on with the prince of darkness here topsiders and bottom below deckers like get the fuck out of here (laughs) let's call them what they are heaven and hell man like he's like you're the prince that of darkness what gave it away dude right well (laughs) i i do like gene barry a lot and it was nice to see him he's a good uh nemesis for columbo so it's nice to see him and again. Martians. Yeah, and yes. Martians. But uh, you know, um, I think it's uh, I think it's better than the next segment. Oh yeah, <laughs> way better. Oh, yeah, 
Let's Ooh. talk about that segment. It's called Voices in the Earth. So this segment is directed by Curtis Harrington, written once again by good friend of the Culture Cast, or not Culture Cast, good friend of this podcast, though he's not, because if he listened to this, he would not be happy. Alan Brennert, once again. And it stars Martin Balsam, once again, uh, Jenny Agater, and uh, Wortham Krimmer. As um, Martin Balsam plays a professor who goes to Earth after Earth is, this is a planet called Earth. Uh... And they go to Earth after it's been destroyed. And then there's, like, ghosts or some shit. I don't know. Mike, you want to explain this episode to me? Because I, I didn't understand this one. So if you want to explain so, this one to me, I'm all ears. So Will Smith brings his son with him on this journey. They crash into this planet. And at the end of the first act, that's when you find out that this is formerly Earth, and it's oh. the most dangerous planet in the galaxy now. Fuck. Um, this felt like a... This was before Star Trek The Next Generation rebooted, and we probably all remember how bad the first season of Star Trek TNG was. This felt like a cast-off from TNG. Like, hey, we're going to send you down to this planet, and you used to live here or something but then martin balsam left and so all these ghosts are kind of haunting him i had a hard time figuring it out but then somehow because they can make the air breathable around martin balsam he's just like hey what are you doing go out and restore the planet and they do and suddenly there's rain on arrakis (laughs) i was gonna say there was blue sky on mars (laughs) it's the same stupid fucking thing it was bad. So fucking disappointed that that's what this episode was. I really am. Uh, that that sort of attitude assumes that anything in the episode was good. I thought this was fucking garbage. It's just like the like the all the worst tropes in in sci fi, particularly like late sixties, early seventies sci fi, where love is the answer. Like this, we're going back to Earth, or I, you know, I don't think it was clear. I, obviously, Earth had been bombed out for some time. And Martin Balsam's character is just, uh, like, that's his hobby, I guess. And now we're making room for, uh, uh, like, they're de- they're going to destroy Earth, I assume, for the superhighway. Um, I guess, yeah. I think a, there was some sort of placard that was posted. <laughs> yeah. You and guys are in the it. galactic right-of-way. <laughs> didn't, didn't go down to the bottom, the, to the basement of the city hall and look at the placard? Yeah. <laughs> so, the, so uh, okay, and he, he's working, I guess, for a company that is effectively a scrap metal company because they're just going to mine Earth for whatever, or like the, the detonation of it is what's going to pay them. So I'm not sure what the professor is doing aboard the craft in the first place. Then he meets these ghosts who are they they concoct some sort of sci-fi reason that they're, they're not actually gone that they're, they're sort of like somehow scientifically forced themselves or like uh, uh, like versions of themselves. Okay, clearly this wanted to be a feature film and not uh, a 20-minute segment on The Twilight Zone. But when Marston Balsam makes the decision that he he's going to help them, he smashes up all the equipment, like Blair at the, in the middle of the thing, so that they can't they do They want to be us! Yeah. <laughs> um, Boy, uh, Father Malone, I I really, really, really don't appreciate you bringing up something I would rather watch than this right now. <laughs> oh, well, sorry. That, you know, <laughs> because, on my good mind, God in so, heaven, I would rather watch anything than this segment. Certainly again. occurred to me while Martin Balsam was doing that. But then 
instead of like throwing this guy into a cabin and locking him up, he somehow goes back down to the planet. Like nothing in the. It's just so. I mean, maudlin. Yes, that's in there. Sort of stupid sci-fi. That's in there. And like you know, uh, like no interesting characters other than sort of Martin Balsam's character. And that's just because Martin Balsam, you just want to love him. Like I don't know. This episode is a total failure. It shouldn't have even been filmed. No, I I actually 100% agree with you, Father Malone. This is this is a really bad segment. Like at the end of it they're like, "We'll come back, you hear?" It's like what the fuck was oh. the point of this? Oof. Like you don't care, I don't care, nobody cares. You're all here for a paycheck. Martin Balsam is given just about as much to do as he was in the last segment where he was like, "I see them over there. Those little goblins. They're right. That's weird. You see them?" They, that that's the, the yeah. effectively the same character. No one believes him. Yeah, exactly. and he was just as much shit in that episode as he is in this episode. And he's such a good actor. I know it's a fucking shame. Uh. It's he is saddled. He is saddled with one of the worst jobs in this show, which is you read the script, you agree to it, and now you got to do it. And boy, you just don't want to be there, do you? Because he is just fucking sleepwalking through this goddamn episode segment. Uh huh. And it's not, I don't blame him. I don't blame him at all. Well, and you're wasting a, Jenny Agater as well. Oh, well, yeah. Jesus. How can they? Uh, Saddle them with well, really stupid dialogue and motivation, that's how. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's, <sighs> this, this show has some moments of really good writing, and then a lot of moments like this one. And look, Jenny Agater, this is her second time in the show. And this yep. is a... This is far removed from last time, because in that Camelot episode, she was pretty good. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I'd rather watch that Camelot thing for sure over this. Oh, yeah. Totally. Oh, oh yeah. This Much. is just... Yeah. That, the Camelot episode I, had missteps. This entire thing is a misstep. It's, it's... What's weird to me is, like, I, I guess what I don't understand is when they sat down to write this segment, what were they going for? Like what? No, like like because like with something like Time and Teresa Galowitz, like I would say even if you didn't like what they were going for, they still succeeded in doing that. I I don't know what this segment's story was supposed to be. Does that make sense? Yeah. Like yeah. Were they trying to tell a story about how we should take care of the planet, or that there's always hope in the future, even if we do fuck the planet up? So keep fucking it up. The, oh, yeah, you know what? I let, can't, let me just. Let me mention the one moment I did like where where they're like, yeah, you 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 have to do this for us. And he was like, yeah, no, you had your chance and you did nothing. I'm not helping you at all. Uh, right. Like that that moment felt real and the rest of it felt like saccharine formula. Why well, didn't what I also didn't understand was what why didn't they show themselves when he asked them to? Oh yeah, another yeah. great moment in this one. What is this? Suddenly they're Shrek? one foggy evening. Talk, donkey, talk. Like I don't want right. to talk. Like what? Ugh. This, yeah, this segment is just. Oof. I, I think Father Malone. I, I normally try not to get as get heated about things, but I think you're right. This is bad, so bad that it doesn't deserve to exist. Yeah, I do. Uh, I, I, I I vaguely I remembered watching it as a kid, and then as soon as it started up, I was like, oh fuck, it's this one. <laughs> it's this yeah. One. Yeah. Well, here's to hoping that the final episode of season two is much better than this one, because boy. It does not have far to go at all. <laughs> Bring back the Shadow Man. Yeah, really. 
So on the next and final episode of season two of Dreams for Sale, we're going to be taking a look at the 14th and 15th episodes of the season, Song of the Younger World and The Girl I Married. Until then, where can people find you, Father Malone? Uh, you can check me out at fathermalone.com. I got links to a lot of my stuff there, uh, including Dark Destinations, the podcast I write and produce. It's a half-hour radio drama. You can also hear me over on Chronicles from the Crypt, the show Chris and I do about the HBO television series Tales from the Crypt. But it is coming to an end. Yes. But you'll be able to listen to the entire show on the RSS feed, so no worries if you haven't listened to it up until this point. But if you listen to this show, anthology series are probably your bag, as with TV shows like Barney Miller. So on that note, where can people find you, Mike? You can find me over at projectionboothpodcast.com. And yeah, you're talking about Barney Miller. Barney Miller, The Life and Times of Captain Barney Miller. That's a podcast that we do once a month where we look at old episodes of Barney Miller. And as for me, you can find me on Twitter, Christmas Claus. They've mentioned most of the places you can find me. I'll mention one more. The Culture Cast, that's a movie podcast that I do once a week where we talk about film. You know, movies. Like a longer version of what we talked about today. So that's where you can find me. As for this show, you can find this show at TwilightZone85.com or TwilightZone85 on Twitter. Big thanks, as always, to Roxy Drive and Neutron Dreams for the music for the podcast, and we'll catch you on the next episode. Mm-hmm.